The year was 1961, and a meteorologist named Edward Lorenz designed a computer program to simulate and forecast weather patterns. One day, Lorenz was in a hurry to make a meeting, and so instead of entering .506127, he rounded down to the nearest thousandth and entered in .506. He figured that one thousandth of one percent would be inconsequential. When he returned to the lab later in the day, he rebooted his computer and he discovered a radical difference in the weather conditions. In 1963, he published a paper outlining the fact that very small changes in initial conditions can produce very large effects in eventual outcomes. A fellow meteorologist noted that if Lorenz's theory was correct, then one flap of a seagull's wings would be enough to change the course of the weather forever. Over the years, the metaphor evolved. Butterflies are more beautiful than seagulls. And so in 1972, at a gathering of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Edward Lorenz delivered a talk titled, Does the Flap of a Butterfly's Wing in Brazil Set Off a Tornado in Texas? Well, his theory grew wings, pun intended, and became known as the butterfly effect. Simply put, Small changes in input can produce large changes in output. It's true in life as well as science. You are one decision away from a totally different life. One risk, one change, one idea. Now, it might be a difficult decision. It might be a crazy idea. It might be a huge risk. But one change as small as one one thousandth of one percent extrapolated across time and space, extrapolated by God's grace, can change the direction of eternity. And that's what today's about. I'm not asking you to make a hundred changes. In fact, good luck with that. What you need to do is be 100% committed to one one thousand percent change. And if you are, it's game on. Well, Happy New Year and welcome to Bachelor Creek. We are so excited that you have joined us on the first Sunday of the new year to worship with us. For those of you who are joining us online, thank you for being a part of our service today. I want to share with you a message today titled Reboot. Now, the word reboot traces its origins back to a little phrase coined in 1852 by John Carter of pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. To reboot is to get back up after being knocked down. You could say it's fighting one more round. In the 1970s, that word took on a new meaning with the advent of personal computers. To reboot is to restart your computer for the purpose of of restarting its operating system. To reboot is to restart, and that's what we're going to talk about today. If you have a Bible, you can turn it to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is where we're going to be eventually, but I believe that spirituality is practicality. Jesus said that wisdom is proved right by her children. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. And so I thought it would be interesting for me to share a few of the ways that I reboot, and then maybe that'll trigger in your own mind some ways that you can reboot in 2022. One of the ways that I reboot is with a nap. Luke 8.23 says that the disciples were sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and it says that Jesus settled down for a nap. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
Did you know that a study done by NASA found that astronauts who took a 26-minute nap were 34% more productive? If I was running for political office, one of my platforms would be a national nap time. I think we would be happier. I think we would be nicer. I think we would be healthier. Now, I know that not everyone can pull off a nap during their lunch hour. This might be a weekend thing. I don't know about you, but for me, I believe that Sunday afternoon naps are one of God's greatest gifts to humanity. Now, for me, when I write a sermon, I write it in the morning. I I work best in the morning. 90% of my creativity happens before noon. And at some point in the day, usually after lunch, my focus drifts, my eyes get a little heavy, and you don't want to hear a sermon that I've written in the afternoon. But what I've discovered is, is that if I, if I can take a nap or if I can just rest my eyes, if I can just have 15 minutes, then, then I'll kind of reboot. And it's, it's this trick. It's this trick that I've learned. I just need a little bit of time to refocus. And so I think one trick to life, and it's true whether you're rebooting your brain, rebooting your body, rebooting your spirit, is you've got to find ways to restart your operating system. It could be 20 push-ups, it could be a stretching routine, it could simply be getting out and and taking a a walk around the block. But I found that if a nap doesn't do it, then exercise usually does. Isn't it intriguing that the way that you gain energy is by expending energy and exercising? So let me talk a little bit about rebooting the body. One of my heroes is Teddy Roosevelt, and Uh, Teddy Roosevelt suffered from severe asthma for more than 40 years. Of course, back then he didn't have an inhaler, and so his dad would hold him in his arms and walk around their Manhattan apartment when Teddy couldn't breathe, or he'd take him out for a carriage ride through the streets of New York City. And at some point when Teddy was old enough, his dad said, Teddy, you have the mind, but you don't have the body. And unless you have the body, your mind can only take you so far. You're going to have to remake your body. And so they built a gym on the second floor of their Manhattan home, and Teddy Roosevelt began to remake his body day after day through tremendous discipline, and he became quite the physical specimen. Roosevelt would drive his Secret Service agents crazy with his point-to-point hikes. He would go skinny dipping in the Potomac River. He even installed a boxing ring in the White House. He went blind in his left eye, but he didn't bother to tell anyone for years after. This was Roosevelt remaking his body, rebooting his body. Now, that doesn't happen by default. That happens by design. And the way you reboot, are you ready for this? The way you reboot is by reestablishing the right routines. This isn't complicated. It's about restarting those operating systems by reestablishing the right routines. So I can tell you in 2019, I ran a half marathon for the first time. And in 2020, I ran a marathon for the first time. And, and so what I'm going to do this year, in, and I'll tell you, the, the great thing about being the guy up here preaching is that I feel like I actually have to do what I say. So here's what I'm going to do in 2022. The way I'm going to reboot my body is I'm going to do push-ups every day, okay? So I started yesterday. 20 push-ups, because honestly, that was about all I could do. It's really bad. It's really bad. But I'm going to set some stretch goals. I'm going to add a push-up a day and see how many I can do by the end of the year. Now, I don't think it's going to be 365, but it's going to be more than 20. I can tell you that, okay? 
So why are you talking about this? Well, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture has an incredibly high view of the body. And if your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, then we've got to take care of the temple. And the way we do that is by diet and exercise. And I'll tell you the good news is physical disciplines and spiritual disciplines are not unrelated in my experience. Developing spiritual disciplines helps me develop physical disciplines and vice versa. And so here's the question for you. What disciplines do you need to put in place to get to where you need to go by the end of the year? What do you need to reboot in 2022? Now here's the key. Whatever it is, it better be specific. Generic reboots don't work. I want to lose weight. I want to read more. I want to complain less. Well, good for you. It's not going to work because there's no way to really know whether or not you were successful. You've got to define the win. You've got to make it measurable. I want to lose 10 pounds in two months. Okay, now we're talking. I want to read a book a month. I bet you will. Why? Because now it's measurable. Now it's specific. I think that's an expression of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I'll share with you one more way that I reboot my brain. Oliver Wendell Holmes, he said that a mind stretched by a new idea never returns to its original shape. And so I reboot my brain with books. Now, part of that, that's the way that I'm wired. I love to learn, and uh, I specifically love reading disciplines that I don't really know a whole lot about. And part of that is because I believe that all truth is God's truth. And part of it is because when, when I learn something new, it causes the, the synapses in my brain to fire in different ways, and it cultivates creativity. And so one of the, my favorite books that I've read over the last few years was a book called Eat and Run. It was written by Scott Jurek. He's one of America's greatest ultra-marathoners. He specializes in running races over 50 miles in length, most of them over 100 miles. And in 2005, he won the Badwater Ultra Marathon. It's a race through Death Valley, a 135-mile race, 120 degrees during the day, 100 degrees at midnight. He set a course record finishing in just over 24 hours. And get this, he does it all on a vegan diet. Reading that book changed the way that I view running. Now, I'll be honest, I have no plans on going vegan, but it has opened my eyes to what the human body is capable of. Why? Because that book rebooted my brain. About 10 years ago, I read a book called Mozart's Brain and the Fighter Pilot. The author, Richard Restack, he said something so simple yet so profound. He said, learn more, see more. Learn more, see more. Our perceptions take on richness and depth as the result of all the things that we learn. What the eyes see is determined by what the brain has learned. Listen, the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know, but the more you know, the more you appreciate. Now let me switch gears for just a moment. I think the key to spiritual growth is routine. We call them spiritual disciplines. But once a routine becomes a routine, you gotta change the routine. You have to reboot. 
A lot of you know that if you go to the gym and you exercise the same way every time, you know that eventually your body is going to adapt and those exercises are going to lose their effectiveness. And so what you need to do is you need to change the sequence. You need to change the exercise. How do you do that? By confusing your muscles. And I think the same thing is true spiritually. Jesus didn't do an orientation with the disciples. What he did was a disorientation. Most of the time, the disciples, if you read through, through the Gospels, they were confused most of the time, and that was by intent. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. How many times did Jesus say, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you? Say, so what was Jesus doing? He was rebooting their Old Testament brains. It was no longer an eye for an eye. It was love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It was the first shall be last, and the greatest among you shall be the servant of all. This was mind-blowing. He was rebooting their brains. So since we're on the subject, one of the things that, that I try to do every year is choose a new translation of the Bible for my devotional reading. Now, here's why I do it. I found that if I read the same version over and over again, there's this tendency where I can just kind of fill in the blank and I can tend to go on autopilot, and so what I need to do is I need to change the translation. And so two years ago, I read through the ESV. Last year, I read the NIV. This year, I'm reading through the NRSV. So why? Well, it's, it's that change in language, just that little bit of change. Again, it causes things in my brain to, to fire differently. It, it helps me to engage the Word of God with more intentionality. And so can I challenge you at the beginning of the year to, one, Perhaps choose a, a new translation of the Bible. And then what I want you to do, a lot of you have the, the YouVersion Bible app. If not, I would encourage you to, to download it. Some of you have the Dwell Bible app that we use for our Advent reading in, in December. But, but one of those, those Bible reading apps, and pick a plan. Some of you might choose to, to read through the whole Bible. If you think you can do it, I think you can. You might want to choose the New Testament or Psalms and Proverbs. It really doesn't matter. The thing is, pick a plan, and here's what I want you to do. Pick a plan and work the plan. And here's what's going to happen. If you work that plan day in and day out, that daily discipline is going to be a butterfly effect in your life in 2022. All right, I told you to turn to Psalm 51. And I want to give you the backstory before we get to verse 1. King David has just made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He's had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. And then he makes a second mistake by trying to cover up the first mistake by having Bathsheba's husband killed. And here's what I want you to realize, though. Bathsheba's husband is not a stranger to David. In 2 Samuel 23, we see a list of David's 37 mighty men. And the very last name listed there is Bathsheba's husband. It's Uriah the Hittite. And so what I'm saying is, is David betrayed one of his best friends. David betrayed his closest confidant. Now, fortunately, there was a prophet who was bold enough and loving enough to confront the king of Israel and a king who was wise enough to repent. And so David is racked with guilt and then David and Bathsheba, they lose their child, and so now he's writhing with grief. So you've got guilt, 
and you've got grief. And when you've got guilt and you've got grief, this is a pretty good prayer to pray. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the definition. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us. Your sin debt was paid in full on Calvary's cross. Do you remember when Jesus said, it is finished? That was an accounting term that referred to the last payment of a debt. Your sin debt was paid in full. Mercy is sin forgiven, sin forgotten. It's the finished work of Christ. It is a clean slate. It's a fresh start. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. One of my favorite promises in Scripture is Lamentations 3.23. It says, your mercies are new every morning. Now, to really appreciate that, you have to back up and understand that everything Jeremiah is saying before this, because before he declares that his mercies are new every morning, he points the finger at God. And I want you to hear what Jeremiah says, the author of Lamentations. Beginning in verse 3, indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He has made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I call out or cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he has dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all my people. They mock me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. Listen, church, there is a God in heaven who can handle your honest thoughts and your honest feelings, and he wants nothing less than that. It's okay to not be okay. Jeremiah is not okay. He points the finger at God, and then here's his self-assessment. He says, peace has been stripped away from me. Everything I had hoped for is lost. My suffering is bitter beyond words. I will never forget how awful this is. I don't think you can appreciate his mercies are new every morning and if you don't understand everything that leads up to this point. That it's darkest before dawn. That you can't have a comeback without a setback. There are moments in our life where we feel like God is a day late and a dollar short, but what I have learned is that is the moment when God shows up with his grace and with his mercy. And I love what Jeremiah declares after he points the finger at God, after assessing this situation, here's what he declares beginning in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Imagine for a moment an old European city with narrow streets and cobbled stones. Imagine that street is lined with little storefronts and there's one old store that has a weathered sign hanging outside of it and it says, Mercy Shop. You notice a window and in the window there's a sign that says, Open on both sides. You walk up to the door and there's no lock because it's never closed. As you walk in, you notice there's no cash register because mercy is always free. The owner says, what do you want? And your answer is mercy. He smiles. He takes your measurements and he goes in back and he reappears about as quickly as he disappeared. He says, I have good news for you because mercy is never out of stock. You try it on and it fits like a glove. You get up and you get ready to leave and as you stand up, you go to the door, the owner says with a smile, thanks for coming. And then he winks at you. I'll see you tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. The English word new comes from the Hebrew word hadas, and it doesn't mean new as in again and again, as amazing as that would be. It, it means new as in different. It means new as never experienced before. Today's mercy is different than yesterday's mercy and the day before and the day before and the day before that. Let me put it to you this way. Just as the, the seasonal flu vaccine, the way that it changes from year to year because of a different strain of the flu virus, God's mercy changes from day to day because of a different strain of sin. So, so do me a favor, get out your phone right now guessing most of you have a, have a smartphone with a calculator app on it. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your age and then multiply it by 365. Your age multiplied by 365. And once you have that number, hold on to it. Some of you might be doing it in your head. You're much better at math than I am. Good for you. Once you have that number, okay, that's how many different strains of mercy God has given you. To just say thank you, God, for your mercy in a generic fashion is to underestimate the potency of God's mercy, which is new and different every single day. So if you're 25, that's 9,125 strains of mercy. If you're 50, that's 18,250. If you're 65, that's 23,725 strains which means the older you get, the more grateful you should be, right? If you want to reboot spiritually, this is where it starts. It starts with Jeremiah's promise, and it starts with David's prayer, have mercy on me, O God. Now, here's the incredible thing. Mercy is only half the equation. There's the opposite side of the coin, and it's this thing called grace. And grace is getting what we don't deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. In other words, it's the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Psalm 51 continues in verse 10. David says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David is saying, God, reboot my heart. Reboot my mind. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Be honest with me right now. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your level of joy today? Because your answer to that is a critical gauge of how we understand God's mercy. So let me tell you how I think we can go from a 3 to a 5 or a 7 to 8 or maybe even a 9 to a 10. Joy is not getting what we want. Joy is appreciating what we have. It's about focus. I said a few weeks ago that don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. I love what what David's doing here. He's refocusing on the mercy of God, refocusing on the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. That's how we reboot ourselves spiritually is by reminding ourselves of who God is. And so if you want to reboot joy in your life, I would encourage you today to start keeping a gratitude journal. Last year, I looked at the notes app in my phone and I wrote down 215 gratitudes. I could have done a whole lot better than that. But the reason why it's important, I think, to to write them down is a couple of reasons. One, there's that old hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. The other is there's a wonderful book by Ann Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts. I think numbering our gratitude is a great way of rebooting our attitude, rebooting our focus. Let me close with this. Reboot isn't just a computing term. In storytelling, in narrative structure, a reboot is restarting a storyline. But here's the key. It's discarding all previous continuity. So stick with me here. The Bible calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. So listen, there has got to be a moment in your life where you allow God to begin writing his story through you. And here's what that means. His mercy enters the equation. And guess what? Now the past is in the past, and we can begin to move into the future with faith. And there is a God who wants to reboot your story. There is a God who wants to reboot your story. Now, he often does that by renaming people, doesn't he? He calls Abram, Abraham. He says, you'll be the father of many nations. He calls Simon, Peter, and he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And so God rewrites the story. He reboots and he wants to do the same thing in each one of our lives. Some of you may be familiar with the story of John Newton. John Newton was a slave trader And he wondered if God could ever forgive the enormity of his sin. He called himself the old African blasphemer. Then one day he discovered the grace of God and the grace of God rebooted his story. In fact, he wrote a little song. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. 
was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. A century before, there was another John, John Bunyan. And John Bunyan wrote the second best-selling book of all time, Pilgrim's Progress, behind the Bible. But it's his autobiography that, that I find most interesting. John Bunyan titled it, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. In that book, John Bunyan divides his life into three stages, and all of them are symbolized by a pair of scales. In the first stage, not unlike John Newton, he wondered if God could ever forgive his sin. The scales of justice tip towards fear and towards despair. Then one day he discovered 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient. And he said that's the day the scales went even, and it changed his life. But there was a third stage. What Bunyan discovered is that he had missed the last two words. That verse is not four words, my grace is sufficient, as great as that would be. No, it's six words. My grace is sufficient for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. And it's different for each one of us, and it's different and new every single day. John Bunyan said that each word was a mighty word to me. My grace is sufficient for you. Four words are not enough. Hebrews 4.16 says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. I have been praying for you this week because you need the grace and mercy of God in your life just as much as I do. I pray that these last two words would grip your heart today. The mercy shop is open. There is grace with your name on it. My grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your mercy, God, in our lives. God, there is nothing that we could do to deserve it. But you give it to us freely out of your great love. And God, I pray as, as we enter into a new year, as we have new ideas and dreams and goals and ambitions, God, I pray that receiving your grace and your mercy would be at the very top of our list. That no matter where we go or what we do, we cannot do it apart from your grace and your mercy, that we need it. And so as we begin 2022, our prayer is the same thing that, it's the same thing that David prayed, have mercy on me, O God. And we know that the mercy shop is always open. that you give when we ask. God, thank you that your grace is sufficient. It's exactly what we need. 
And God, I pray for those here today who've never experienced God's grace, who've never got what they don't deserve, and they've never not got what they deserve. And I pray that today that there would be people in this room, people that that hear my voice, that are watching this, that would know that mercy is free and the good news is that it is available to each and every one of us. God, if there's no one who has ever accepted that free gift of grace, God, today, would they say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of the living God, that he is my Lord and Savior, and I am accepting the free gift of salvation today in Christ Jesus. And may we all be people of grace and mercy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.